Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got a full crew tonight. Uh, Michael's back up in Alaska. How's Alaska, Mike? It is rainy, but the moose are pretty awesome. It's been raining. They, it's the third rainiest August on record. Good. Wow. It's crazy. You know, I have that van up here that I've been using to get around and do some shooting, and it's got solar in it, right? Every other summer I've had it up here, which well, I guess only one other summer, no problem keeping the batteries topped off. This summer I can't even get them to top off because it's the sun has not been out for more than a couple hours ever. So it's crazy, crazy wet. It's actually that's good though, right? right now. I like it better that way. I'd much rather. That's why I left Colorado is because I just don't like the sunshine. Michael, I might need you to go over to my house and check the creek levels in my backyard. Should I be worried? Man, it's been, it's like steady. There's a couple of times where we had some flood warnings, but nothing currently. <laughs> but yeah, I'll go check it. If you just tell me and I'll go check. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> it's built on a slab. That was uh, Drew Hamilton who decided to abandon America and move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm here for the polar bears. <laughs> and that's and a good Aurora. Thing, right? so, sounds like and actually, we're going to get them all. Well, fingers crossed, we're going to get them all today. It's been a long day. We're doing our uh, our uh, our changing colors of the tundra tour right now. And so we were out on the water in the Churchill River at six thirty this morning, looking at thousands of beluga whales, and saw a couple polar bears. And then after we finished that, we went cruising around. We found four polar bears just uh, lounging on the tundra today. And then we. We're in the middle of our break right now, and then we're watching the sun go down. Skies are clearing, and it's shaping up for a good Aurora show tonight. So we might get the the Churchill trifecta all in one day. So hold on a second. Thousands of belugas? Is there that many out cruising There are around? that many. Like, it is, it is mind-blowing. So they estimate like about 3,500. It's 3, like the salmon run, isn't it? It kind of feels like it sometimes. You're, you're out there <laughs> uh, in a Zodiac, and they swim right up to you. They're inherently curious. And so they like the bubbles coming off the motor and we got Zodiacs that have these uh, guards. So it's not like they're, they're protected from prop strikes and things like that. And so just, you're basically idling along and everywhere you look are beluga whales. So they, they say about 3,500 come up the Churchill river. Um, they're following a, a Capelin run. So a little bait fish. And then they do their, their mating and molting and living in the summer in the Churchill river. And then while you're out there, <clears throat> there are polar bears walking around on the shoreline. And we watched one napping in the beautiful morning light on these Churchill rocks. And then, uh, yeah, and then this afternoon we went cruising around and I missed, I did miss the last recording of the podcast because I was staking out a dead beluga whale <laughs> on the beach. Uh, it was probably more okay. smelly than doing the podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can you uh, can you go out in a kayak too, or do people have do stand up paddle boards out there too, or are, yeah. does anything go, or do you guys just well, pretty much stay in the zodiac? The for for photography, the uh, the zodiac is the way to go. It's you're low, you can get low, um, it's comfortable, you can move around, kind of thing. But then uh, you can also kayak with them, and uh, and then we've got a friend who does paddleboard tours. She actually offers paddleboard yoga. Uh, tours. So you're out there on the paddleboard. Well, not me, but other people are out there on the paddleboards doing yoga and, uh, you know, they're swimming right up to you and it's, it's, it's great fun to watch. And, uh, I'm sure other people would love it, but I just, I don't think my hamstrings could, uh, could take it anymore. But the one thing that you can't do anymore is, uh, is swim with them. There's no, no more snorkeling. Uh, they put a, a kind of blanket ban on, swimming with belugas across Canada uh, due to some other populations that are, that are, that are in trouble, but this Churchill population is still strong. And uh, like it is, if, if you've never, you know, coming from Alaska where, you know, you get excited to see a beluga whale, it's a little white dot, you know, a mile out in turning an arm or something like that, just to have them 
like we got we got sprayed with beluga snot this morning. If that's the standard for our day, we're doing all right. All before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you send me some images? I'm sure you were, had your camera out or you you've had it out. Send us some images so people can get an idea of what what you are seeing for the yeah. show notes. I did I did shoot some video and uh uh I'll, yeah, so I'll send that along and people can check it out. We can we I'll put some up on my new Vero account too. There you go. Everybody's making the switch. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about Vero a little, right? <laughs> Ron, what you're is up muted. With Vero? Ron, you're muted. That is probably why I have not been able to get a word in edgewise right there. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, he's on to it. It's the nut behind the wheel. Like, man, Drew keeps cutting me off. <laughs> why is everybody ignoring me? <laughs> Jason, coming to us from Utah, you're probably not dealing with beluga snot no beluga snot here down there no uh, still either. yeah that's a fact no no uh no rain no um well there's been a little bit of rain but southern utah more um but no it's still hot i'm getting some signs of fall but not not yet it's still mid 90s you know so yeah not that's about it for me just the same old same old just trying to uh, stay busy and getting ready for fall Mid nineties, holy cow! What is that in centigrade? I'm in Canada, thirty something. 30. Yeah, it's thirty six, thirty seven. Whoo, dang! Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, rub it in, Drew. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing up here. I've I have to wear a coat every day because it's just not. It's you're lucky in if you get the fifties. See, I love that kind of weather. That's yeah. I'm trying to think. I guess what John I need Rogers to move. Always used to say, he said on the coasts. In the Katmai Coast, it's always 50 to 56 degrees, but sometimes it's the hottest 56 degrees you've ever felt, and sometimes it's the coldest 56 Man, degrees you've 56 ever felt. 56 is perfect. <laughs> Shorts weather. We've got a, a special guest. So some of you guys have heard of the big year, and most people relate that to birders that are trying to document as many species as they can within a year. Our guest tonight is trying to do a big year for bears. Uh, Kevin Andrews, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And it doesn't sound like that big a deal, right? Because there's only eight, di eight different species of bears. <laughs> so before we get too deep into that, Kevin, how did you get your start? Um, just photography in general? or Well, photography in general, and then where did the love of bears come in? Um, yeah, so my love of photography actually started with a something totally different with skydiving. I was a videographer and photographer when I was uh, doing professional skydiving for a number of years, got me into photography a little bit. And then when I moved to Utah, I mean, it's gorgeous here. Everything changed. I wanted to photograph everything. What got me into wildlife was a local eagle's nest that was half a mile from my house, just started photographing them. And then uh, what got me into bears specifically was my first bear I saw, which was a bear named Snow in Yellowstone National Park in 2018. And that was the first time I ever photographed a bear with a real camera and just kind of slowly corrupted me over time as I went more and more. Because I, I started with eagles, so birds were my big thing. But once I started going to Yellowstone more, I started to have a love and fascination with bears more and more that led me to where I am now. Yeah, I'm not big on naming wild animals, but that is a pretty bear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have to back up a second on that. Professional skydiver? Yeah, I did that for professional skydiving for four years. So what does that entail? How, how, how do you become a professional skydiver? Um, so if you ever go to like, oh, you just skydive a lot. Um, but <laughs> if you've ever been to air shows, the people who like jump into the stadiums, everything like that. I did that for two and a half years with the Army. Then I had my own wingsuit instruction school where I basically taught wingsuiting and learned people how to actually start flying with a wingsuit, rented them out, was sponsored by a company and everything. And then... Uh, for two years, I did records and uh, racing with wingsuiting. So at one point, I had a national state or four, national four states and a world record 
Uh, most of those states have been beaten, unfortunately. I think I still hold one of them, but it's been like seven years since I've done those state ones. But yeah, I did that for a long time and then moved to Utah for school and priorities just kind of started changing. <laughs> That's crazy. So you had to sw- switch to something more low key like bear viewing. Yeah, you know, it's just totally just as safe. <laughs> <laughs> so how does... <laughs> How does one pursue a record? Is um, like just get a bunch flight, of friends and say, let's all jump flight. out of a plane at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty <laughs> much what it is. Uh, most of them are some person wants to do a record and they just kind of organize it, send invites out. And you get for the uh, world record we did, it was uh, 78 wingsuiters all at once in a giant diamond formation. Um, so, yeah, it's basically how you get into that is just, know people who want to do crazy things <laughs> hey sounds like they Jason, all drink red bull jump, jump out of a plane later <laughs> listen listen man my philosophy has always been why would anybody want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane <laughs> so being a pilot i can tell you and a skydiver that statement can never be true. There's no such thing as a perfectly good airplane. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's, it's, I feel safer with a parachute over my head than landing in those planes any day of the week. That's fair. <laughs> well, Kevin, we've been, we've been talking for, for a while now about bears mm-hmm. and, and this, this goal and this, this project of yours. And I just want to say right out of the bat that I am insanely jealous. And <laughs> I wish I had thought of this uh, <laughs> years ago. And so it's really been been fantastic to watch you and help you on your journey. And what I've really enjoyed the most, I think, is just this comes from your heart. Like mm-hmm. so much, so much of this. This is this is a passion project for you. And I know you already have a, a couple bears under your belt this year, or three here. So well, yep. what have you got so far? So naturally have a black uh, black bear, grizzly bear, and the Andean bear. Strangely, uh, the grizzly bear or the black bear was the third bear of my year. I expected it to be second, but I ended up having an opportunity to go see the bears in Ecuador a lot sooner than I thought. And so the local bears I have became third on my list and not uh, first and second like I thought. So yeah, the Andean bear is my first international and then the finishing of this calendar year, I'll have polar bear, sun bear, moon bear. And then next year I finish with the sloth bear. And if the gods help me, panda bear. <laughs> That's the tough one. That's yeah. the tough one. Oh, man. So let's talk about those Andean bears. Like, so what yeah. was. So the Andean, the Andean bear for everybody listening would also be the spectacle bear, correct? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so one thing is like out here in the States, I talked with them a lot about it out here in the Western countries, as they call them, they like to call it spectacle bears, but down there it's pretty exclusively Andean bear because it's from, you know, that's just what they call them. And they're, and, you know, Andino, also Andino as they call it. What does it take to see them? Um, so it takes a lot. So there's only about, uh, in estimate less than 20,000 in the entire world. So the best places to generally see them are Peru or Ecuador. Um, Peru has a lot of them. They have more than any other country, but the problem is they're in really deep, dense terrain that's not easy to get to. So most people seeing them are through trap cameras. Um, uh, where I saw them was actually in this little, not a protected preserve or anything, but basically this one farmer started to get bears on his property and instead of killing them or shooing them away he actually started to embrace the bears and i was able to find this guy through some other contacts and they invited me out and you just it's four hours from the major international airport of quito it's in uh pinpampiro ecuador and yeah it's middle of nowhere ecuador you would never assume you'd see bears there but you just turn off on this little area of farm country and right on the sides of these hills, you got these beautiful Andean bears just coming every day. Wow. 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 That's amazing. It did look like a lot of running up and down hills though. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the place we were at was actually an overlook. So they have a lot of people come on the overlook and you can look on the overlook. And if you stay there, you can see bears any day of the week, basically it's almost, a guarantee to at least see them from the overlook. 
Um, so what we did is every day we'd have people on the overlook and we'd usually go down every now and then we'd see movement in the trees. And that's when we just run down before the bears notice us because they're in the dense cloud forest. So we're just running down this 2000 foot cliff in a you know, in less than five minutes to try and get on the level terrain we have that we can see the bears. And yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a lot of work when you see them because it's not easy terrain to traverse at all. And even when they're in their forest, those forests are thick Amazon jungle and uh, you're not walking through that very easily. Well, it sounds so like a wingsuit. Wing <laughs> 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 Look at that. <laughs> that sounds like that would have been the way to go, but there's probably too many trees for that. Yeah, a few too many trees, unfortunately, because uh, that's why we have to have someone constantly on top, because when you're on level, you could have a bear 10 feet from you and you probably wouldn't know, but having that overlook allowed us to be able to see the movement in the trees and everything and keep us safe to where we're not, you know, frightening bears or bears are frightening us and so on. So that was one of the big aspects of that to be able to keep it safe was having those overlooks because those forests are, yeah, when we saw one of the bears in the forest, it's sitting right there in a tree and you wouldn't even know that forest is so thick. What's the barometer for you in trying to, say that this bear has been seen and photographed i mean do you have to have a special photograph do you want to have what is it that gets you says okay i've got this species um honestly just seeing them in a fashion that i can make details of them like i'm able to see them close enough to where i can actually see the bears have a moment with it so to say and just kind of watch its movements. I mean, even when I was on the overlook, there were bears half mile away. But for me, I was still able to see their activity, see them move, see them in their natural behavior. As long as I'm just seeing these bears wild in their natural habitat, doing their thing, to me, that's that's a sighting. If I get close and can take great pictures, that's even better because that helps me promote you know, all, what I'm trying to do. But for me, like Drew said earlier, this is kind of a personal and thing for me to connect with these bears and just seeing them in their in the wild habitat, just doing their thing is everything to me. That's that's what this whole thing is about. Not seeing them in a zoo, not seeing them in some caged environment, just seeing them in the wild. So what were what was it like logistically to put just that first that first leg of the trip together? So uh, Ecuador was probably the easiest of all my trips to come. Um, I had, it was, was going to be one of the harder ones because one of the few places that you can actually go out and try to see them relies entirely on avocado growth. So it requires when the avocados ripen, they can ripen the first week of November. They can ripen the third week of November the bears aren't there until those things ripen. So it was one of those trips I just kind of had sitting there of once I hear those avocados are starting to ripe, I'm going to fly out. But then I got um, some connections with this biologist who works out of Southern America called Charles Munn. And he was able to uh, get me this place that I went to. He says, there's this place where they're protecting bears. It's not a protected environment, but all the locals have gotten together and they have bears come in here every day for the safety and the food. And so when I heard that, I just jumped on the trigger, bought a ticket to Ecuador. I think he messaged me and I had about three weeks advance notice and I took the second trip he had. But he says, yeah, we have these trips. We're going to try and get people out there to see if there are bears, in fact, out there. I want you to come. And so, yeah, I bought tickets immediately and flew on a plane to Ecuador three weeks later. And so logistically, it wasn't too hard. It was just, uh, oh, this is happening. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hardest part was just making sure I had everything needed to leave the country and go to Ecuador. So so when you got there, were the bears fairly tolerant or were they pretty tough to, to photograph? Um, so that's kind of both a hit and miss. The bears there, unlike – so. I'm used to grizzlies and black bears here, which kind of just tolerate. Um, but the bears there actually very infrequently deal with humans. Humans aren't a common thing because it's a low population, little farming, rural farming area. So they're actually very curious. 
So they were very curious creatures. We had them come up to us actually twice when either we were walking away from a moment where we were photographing them or there was another moment we were just kind of sitting and waiting. We had someone go and scout out and come back and a couple minutes later, this bear just follows his scent trail, goes across a bridge and comes back and gets within 10 feet of us just to kind of sniff us and see what we are because most of the bears we saw there were pretty young. So they're very curious creatures, pretty tolerant because they don't see humans as a threat and they don't really know what we are. So they're just very curious, come up, sniff us. And once they realize, oh, you're not a bear, you don't know what you are, they just kind of walk off and do their own thing. So it was actually quite an incredible experience because these bears have no natural fear of humans. It's more just natural curiosity. And it's this kind of perfect harmony of nature because yeah, you're able to experience them as you should with no fear and just pure curiosity. So having seen your, your North American, your grizzlies and your, your black bears, and then what struck you as different about these, uh, these spectacled bears? Um, so the big difference of them is obvious size and just behavior. Like I said, their curiosity is very different and how they go about daily routines is different because they're living in these cloud forests and they're not hibernating bears. Their whole life is very different. They are one of actually the few bears in the world that make active nests. So a lot of times what we'd be seeing in their activity in the day was once it gets near sunset, they're either sitting there making a new bed for the day or they're using one of their old nests. And the biggest difference is yeah, in their overall behavior is just how they go about the day because they're not searching for roots or anything like that. They're actively eating plants and fruit. So how they're just going about their day is just a little different, a lot more playful too than uh, most adult bears. And very much the biggest thing, I know it's uh, for you, you in Alaska and Canada and stuff like that, you're a little spoiled with your grizzly bear socialization. But um, I'd say the biggest thing is the socialization and dynamics they have. Um, we saw, I saw multiple pairs that were two, three-year-old siblings. They get kicked out at about a year and a half, unlike other bears. So they're released from their parents pretty early on due to no hibernation. Um, you'd see, you know, two, three-year-old bears still playing with each other, still walking with each other, hanging out, being very tolerant. Mother bear with two cubs sitting with another two-year-old bear and to them, it's nothing. They're very social and they actually have a, somewhat of a communal structure about them just naturally. Size wise, how, what compared size to a uh, black bear? Um, a little smaller than a black bear, pretty equivalent. So um, yeah, on average, probably three quarters of a black bear, I'd say. So I think, and if I correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe Paddington bear was yep. <laughs> an Indian bear. If I, if yep, I remember Paddington correctly. Paddington Bear is a spectacled bear. He comes from Peru. Um, so Ooh. there is a celebrity Andean bear. Uh, not many people actually know what he <laughs> is, but yeah, he's a spectacled bear from Peru because like I said earlier, that's where they're most common in the world with an estimated about 12,000 of them in Peru, if I'm correct. Hold on. What's Paddington Bear? Oh no! Oh, oh come on! I'm oh. so disappointed, Mike. Hey, remember he did just have another birthday. Death, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a little older than the rest of us. Yeah, Paddington's, uh, um, I believe, knighted now from the Queen. Actually, there is a thing they had, a special they had with the Queen of England. Uh, yeah, basically, this little—it started, I think, as a comic. I'm not entirely sure comic or something and then they made a couple movies about it it was a big classic i think they have two movies out <laughs> see that's why i thought paddington was british <laughs> <laughs> so what's uh so you've got three down uh what's mm -hmm. what's next uh well so next is what i call my 0.5 bear um so the next trip i'm going on in september is to see the spirit bears in canada so the white black bears I, like i said i like to call that my 0.5 bear because it's not a different species but it's a very rare subspecies which i'm going after 
Um, so that's the next bear I'm, do I'm doing. And then October is when I go to uh, Churchill and get to play with the polar bears up there with you. Yes, that'll be here before yeah. you know it. Yeah, I know. I'm, it's it's coming down. So if you're going to go 0.5, why not go 0.333333 and do go after the glacier bear also? That's next year. Working on that already. Uh, uh, I think I asked, I've asked a few people about that and kind of just doing my research portion on that. And my goal is once I do this uh, quest for eight, I'm going to do a black bear subspecies hunt and then eventually a grizzly and my it's a long-term goal to get all the subspecies eventually but right now i'm just focusing on the core species and spirit bears just happen to pair well and then i definitely want to go see those glacial bears if possible one day <laughs> yeah you and me both just take us with you <laughs> yeah let's do a big do a big quest <laughs> So, so this is just the dummy me not knowing any better, but is a growler an actual species now or is that? Um, I don't know. Drew may have more on that. I just know growler and pizzly is well, subspecies hybrids. So, so grizzly bears and polar bears are very closely related. Uh, in some ways, it can be considered a, a case of quantum evolution. And so a few years ago, there was all the – it was very in vogue to go looking for these – these hybrids, like there were TV shows of people venturing out into the Canadian Arctic archipelago <laughs> looking for hybrid bears and this, that, and the other. And uh, it was before they'd really dug into the mitochondrial DNA to look at what had actually happened. And there were there were hunters were bringing these things in uh, way up north, um, like way further north than, than Churchill. And uh, so they were hybrids. And when they started to dig into it a little more, it turned out that there was a, a coupling uh, between uh, a female polar bear and a male grizzly bear. So in the springtime, the male grizzly bear comes out of its den early. The female polar bear is out on the ice putting off pheromones. Grizzly bear starts following his nose. At that point, love is blind. And uh, so they, they mate. So they have offspring. And then those offspring, because those two species are so closely related, are then viable as well. And they mated with grizzly bears. And then those offspring were viable as well. And so all the bears that were brought in uh, by hunters were ultimately could be traced back to this single coupling of the two individuals. And so I, it's something that you're, that you're constantly uh, they're, they're looking for. And they'll I'm sure they'll find more eventually. It's not happening with the frequency that uh, it that people think. It is, but there is a historical precedent for it uh, down in Southeast Alaska, uh, at Admiralty Island, the ABC Islands, Admiralty, Baranov, and Chichagov Island. Um, that population of brown bears down there actually has more genetic markers in common with populations of polar bears than with other populations of, of brown bears or grizzly bears. Oh, wow. And it comes back to you know 20,000 years ago or whatever. Uh, could be wrong on that date. Where was the good habitat for polar bears? about right there and then you start hmm. more more brown bears start as the the we come out of the ice age more brown bears start showing up and so then you have this mixing until you have a population of brown bears with residual polar bear markers kind of thing. it's a fascinating process um, there are a few yeah. papers out there you can dig out you know, fish and wildlife service has done a couple uh, the lady hmm. at the genetics lab in anchorage there uh, does hmm. papers on it several so she's done several papers on it well, I learned something new tonight. That's cool. And where you can just ask Drew. Cause... <laughs> so I do have to ask, are Pizzlies real too? Or is that... You know, because that would take such a, a different uh, uh, kind of match-mismatch relationship in that... So that would... You would need a male polar bear uh, off the ice on the land in June. Or brown bear, grizzly bear mating season. Um, which is... You know, the, the conditions are going that way, like, uh, you know, but for example, they should be out on the ice and like here in Hudson Bay, uh, the bears started coming off the ice in like mid-July. So the timing's just not quite right for it to start going the, the other way uh, yet. But, you know, they're bears. They do what they want. Uh, you know, I'm always <laughs> amazed, do. but never surprised uh, what I see them do. <laughs> So, cause, cause yeah, if Ecuador, if getting to Ecuador is one of the easiest, <laughs> what, uh, what's the hardest bear to go find? 
Um, naturally anything over in Asia, the sun bear, moon bear, and panda bear are by far the hardest. Um, after those three, the sloth bear, just because India's tourism very much caters toward tigers, they don't really care about the bear. So finding someone that is willing to be more workable with the sloth bear and not as much the tiger is very difficult because everyone's selling a tiger excursion, you may see a bear. So I'm still working on the exact details with the people I'm at where, hey, I want to work more toward bears and not as much tigers. Um, but yeah, panda bear is definitely one of the hardest just because of national borders. Um, but in terms of logistical challenge of actually seeing them in the wild, if I were to be able to get into the country, they would actually be a little easier. Whereas the sun and moon bears are the absolute hardest bears to find. And um, one of the things I really love about what I'm going to be able to do is for three weeks, I'm for two weeks, I'm going to Malaysia. One week, I'm going to Cambodia. And I'm actually going to work with the rescue and rehabilitation centers out there for the bears. So I'm going to be helping rescue and rehabilitate the bears and go on some research to hopefully find some others in the wild as well, which is perfect for what I want to do because I'm actually going to be able to truly give back to some other bears as well. So will you be working with uh, with Wong and Saba at Sepalak? Yep, oh, yep. I will be working with him at Sepalak and very excited about that one. I just He's get more and more jealous. Individual. <laughs> um, you better give us a little background on that because I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you spit those names off the top of your head pretty quick. That's what I was <laughs> thinking too, Mike. So how do you know those guys, Drew? Well, so Wong runs the uh, – uh, oh, shoot. What is, what's it called, Kevin? Center. What is it? Borneo and Sun Bear Conservation Center. Yes, yes, and uh, and so he's he's he studied in the U.S. He started with uh, grizzly bears, if I remember correctly, and and now he's he's gone back to to Malaysia to to save these sun bears, and he does amazing, amazing stuff. He's got this facility at Sepalak um, that actually, Kevin, you you're doing more research on it than I than I have. Uh, yeah, tell, um, tell us what well, you're yeah, going to do there. Much- um, yeah, you pretty much hit it on the head. He uh, started his research out there in Malaysia, loved the sun bears, came here to Montana to study the grizzly bears and stuff, and then went back, started his center, and has rescued hundreds of sun bears. Um, what I'm going to be doing there is just kind of working with his program, helping you know feed these bears, helping help with medical, other things like that. If we get new bears in, we're going to try and be, you know, bringing them to a a situation where we could release them. Hopefully we'll have a release or two scheduled. And the whole thing I'm planning to do there is just kind of help with the research, help with the care of the bears and hopefully be able to see some wild ones because they're one of the hardest bears in the world to see wild just because of how infrequent they are due to bile farming, unfortunately, because that's their biggest is with the sun bear or the moon bear as well is bile farming in Southeast Asia is kind of what took all of these bears out and that and palm oil plantations. And so what he does is he goes and rescues these bears or finds them in situations, brings them in rehabilitates them and either keeps them if they can't be rehabilitated. Oh, and he's released a few hundred back into the wild as well with a great success, which really is helping the species out. Do you have a population number of some bears? I mean, you said with the Andean um, bears, there's what, 20,000? Uh, less than, yeah. So one of the sad but um, interesting things about both of those bears is there is so little research on them there is absolutely no way to actually tell a number. Um, There's some guesses, but there is no official knowledge of how many are out there just because they're such an under-researched bear. I mean, uh, Dr. Wong over there, like Drew was saying, he's pretty much the only expert on them. Um, There's a few others in the field, but not many people are researching these bears. You don't hear anything about them. Um, Very few people know that they even exist. So they're very underfunded and the research just isn't really there to know population densities or even how far out they can go. Yeah. I met, uh, I met Wong in Borneo in the Danum Valley actually, and got to, like, he probably wouldn't remember me, but I, I remember meeting him very well. Cause he is one of my conservation heroes. 
and uh, I got to go out with his technicians and look for track or collared bears. And there was one guy that had been working on the, the project for multiple years and had never laid eyes on one. They knew where they were because they, you know, telemetry gear. <laughs> yeah. And so we, and I don't know, I, I was out there with them and I don't know that they got a lot of visitors back at that time. <laughs> and uh, so they were stoked. I was like, yeah, I'd like to see one. And they're like, you know what? So would we like, that would be really cool. <laughs> and, uh, so we had the telemetry gear going and we're, we're running through the Bordean jungle and, uh, which is very hot, very, very hot. And, uh, and they were always, they knew we were there and they just kept, we saw the tracks. We saw where they like went through the mud and up on a log and, uh, but they, we just could never, never lay eyes on them, even though you knew fairly precisely where they were. It was kind of fascinating really that they could move so effortlessly through that forest, which was impossible for, and you're covered with leeches and just your blood is come. It was, it was a mess. I'm not rushing to go back, but you have fun. Yeah, well, it also doesn't help that, you know, they're only about the size of a dog. So that doesn't, that makes it a lot harder to see. There are no 400 pound bears jumping through. I mean, even the Andean bears at like 250 pounds or something. Those sun bears are less than 200 pounds. <laughs> and they're actually the, the Bordean Sun Bear Center, uh, Conservation Center, they do, he's very active on social media and it's fun. Uh, for people to give a follow and he'll do uh, Q and A's. And so he was a CNN uh, uh, hero as well. Hmm. So there's a lot. So maybe we could get him on a show too. That'd be fun. That'd be pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be there for two weeks. We can try and set something. Uh, I can try and uh, get him in November. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's see if we can work that. That would yeah, be a we'll, ton of fun. We'll talk, we'll talk on that one. I'll try and convince him <laughs> in. <laughs> Right yeah, so that kind of goes back to my my question that I started to ask just a little bit ago. What the uh, moon bear, what you're calling the moon bear, mm -hmm. is also considered the Asiatic black bear, correct? Yeah, um, the Asiatic black bear is its normal name, but mm -hmm. it's kind of like spectacle bear kind of thing. It's what most people call it is the moon bear. And so that's, yeah. that's what I usually go by it because it kind of gives it a little better differentiation than the, just a black bear. Oh, it's Asiatic black bear. People think it's just a black bear from Asia when they're very much different. Right. Yeah. And so going back to that conversation about getting him on the show while you're there, if you, you know, this isn't dependent upon it. I can put you in touch with a guy that can put you on Asiatic black bears like right now. So I'll, uh, when we get done, I will give you his contact information. And it, uh, quite honestly, he's photographed for the last three years now. He's photographed bar none, the prettiest bear I've ever seen, regardless oh, wow. of species. It's, uh, it almost looks like a dark chocolate grizzly bear with this real light colored collar. And man, it is pretty bear. And hmm, I, a, I think that's a bold uh, statement, Ron. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm. I know. <laughs> but are you sure it, about it? I mean, spirit bears are are pretty high on my list of one of the the subjects that I'd really like to photograph, especially given you know juxtaposed against that uh, rainforest backdrop. But this bear, the first time I saw a picture of it, it's just like wow, I've never seen anything like that. And and it's just the individual. It's not you know, the species, it's not characteristic of the species necessarily, but the individual has just got some really unique markings. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, you know, that's, it's in Japan. So that's one of the areas where, you know, I would like to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know who you're I talking about. Japan, yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking hard. about now. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, Hey Kevin, sorry, just for my information, I feel like I don't, I, yeah, well, don't feel like I know. I don't hardly I hardly know anything. So anyways, <laughs> another question. So you mentioned that a lot of the issues with the bears over there in Asia were, you know, habitat loss, obviously, right, mm -hmm. from farming and stuff. And then the bile yep. farming. You said farming or? Um, yeah. So it's it's not a fun subject to talk about. Kind of darken the room a little bit. Um, sure. Basically, it's uh, the, I forget what it is, the, you know, the fake remedy medicine, you know, ground tiger bones and it'll make you live forever kind of thing. So 
they actually farm their liver bile and keep them in cages and farm this bile for alternative medicines. So they're mm -hmm. in these cages where they can't move, they can't do anything, they can't even turn their heads really, and they're just farmed for their bile as an alternative medicine. Nothing else. And the medicine that is in the bile is actually useful stuff, but we have actual things that are medication for it nowadays. Like if you went back a couple hundred years, yeah, the stuff in the bile could be useful, but there's actual medication nowadays. But the alternative medicine market over there is still so big that these bears are farmed in the tens of thousands um, and just left in these horrible conditions and cages. Thankfully, uh, a lot of countries are starting to get rid of that. I know South Korea is working on that right now. And that's just because of efforts of the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation and another group called Save the Bears um, over in Asia that deals with moon bears and sun bears specifically as well. Right. No, that's great. I know it's it's hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's an ugly subject, but I think it's important for people to know, be aware that oh, it's happening. No. Right. So Yeah, that's that's part of the reason I'm going over there is because it's a subject that not many people know about. And. I really want to get that message out there that, you know, we have these bears in these conditions and there's no reason in the world to have that. And it's something we can all fix and be better humans and be better with nature about. Amen. <laughs> it's something not a lot of people know about in North America is that um, shipments to the black market, to, to Asian markets of gallbladders from mostly black bears, of course. Mm -hmm. from North America. That's, uh, that's kind of a big deal. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into investigating uh, that because, you know, that's one of the bigger reasons for bear poaching is because they are selling gallbladders to on the, the Asiatic black market and making a lot of money. Yeah. It's amazing and, how much that stuff goes for. And yeah, yeah, there's no reason for it. All right, let's get let's get happy again. Sorry, yeah, that's I want to get on a happy note, shall we? <laughs> I want to get well, really happy. It is. It was really important that we we talked about that though, because that's uh. Thanks for for bringing that to our our listeners' attention. But in a lighter note, you texted me the other day with a badass logo on a T-shirt, and I want to know <laughs> yep. when they're available. Where can I get one? Do you ship to yep. Canada? What are the deeds <laughs> on that? Um. Yeah. So I should have all of that by next week. I know I'll have. Um, most of it by next week. The shirts I'm still working on. They should be by the end of the week. I'm not entirely sure. They said anywhere from five to 10 days. Um, it can all be found on my Etsy shop, um, which you can find on my website, kevinandrewsphotography.com. And yeah, I will be selling stickers, shirts, uh, keychains, and eventually I don't have the full calendar yet, but next year I'll have a calendar that's just all bears. And the thing I'm real most proud of with all this stuff I will be selling, I'm going to be giving away a vast portion of my funds to bears. Uh, actually, 25% of any sale I get is going to go to various bear conservation, whether it be the Bornean Sun Bear Conservation Center or the Spectacled Bear Centers in South America or, you know, Save the Bears. I have all those organizations on my website and 25% of all my sales are going to go to one of those bear foundations. When I first nice. saw that logo, the first thing that popped to my mind, neck tattoo. I think you should get it like right here, <laughs> like a big, uh, big old. Yeah, I, I have no tattoos and I have a, a good friend who was trying to convince me that should be my first tattoo. And <laughs> it's tempting. Uh, yeah, but you know, for listeners that don't see it or haven't seen it yet, I have a logo that has all eight species of bears as a uh, aperture little deal so it's little eight rings of an aperture and each ring is a different species of the bear oh, that's cool you need to make yeah. hats too yeah that's 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 the long-term goal we're gonna plan on getting a little bit of everything out there so i can <laughs> start making money so i can try and make an impact with these bears because that's my whole goal is i just want to make a difference in the world of bears so that's one of my questions when we started talking about all this, how do you fund all this stuff? Cause this is not a cheap endeavor. I mean, to go no, it to is all these just, different uh, places. Yeah. Just Canada, Canada broke my bank the most <laughs> um, between the polar bears and everything else. But 
Um, no, this was something I've been working on for a year. I think I started, I forget when I even started talking with you, Drew, but uh, it was very early on in the year. And I think it, I think we actually started October, September, October of last year, maybe even. Um, so yeah, it's been something I've been working on for a year, saving up for and putting funds aside for, because I knew this was going to be a very lofty endeavor that was going to kind of just own my wallet for the year, which it does pretty much everything I have is going into this project to be able to see these bears and hopefully be able to make an impact, get people interested in bears, get people interested in their conservation and what they can do. And yeah, it's, it took a long time, not only took a year of saving and I'm still saving for the few, for the trips that are going on later. Um, but yeah, it took a year of planning as well because seeing these bears is not an easy feat. And especially all of them in the time frame I'm going for is not something I know of anyone that's done before. I'll just ask that question because it's, you know, a lot of people have these kind of ideas. I mean, we interviewed mm -hmm. a guy who went and photographed all the waterfowl species in the world. Mm -hmm. That right there has got to be a ton of money just to figure oh, out yeah. all the logistics and travel and but to do it with just these bears. And then one thing we haven't talked about yet is the panda bear. How do you figure that one out? Um, so I have a contact out there in China. Everything is good to go once I can enter that, uh, enter the country. Um, so the time frame I have is for next uh, March through May is the better time of year to see pandas. I have more or less everything set up. It's just a matter of, can I get into the country? Um, my contacts I have there were all thanks to Drew. He, he's the one that got me help with a lot of this planning and logistics and his effort was unmatched by anything. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of if I can get into that country within that few time month time frame, which is the best to see him, I can go. And I have a little money set aside that once that happens, the trigger can be pulled pretty much instantly. Um, like, so to kind of expand further on that question, I'm the type of person, if I put something to my mind, sure, shit getting done in one way or another, it's, it's <laughs> going to happen. Um, if I break myself doing it, that's going to be what it is. But I set myself with this goal and everything I'm, I am and doing is to help achieve this goal. So there, everything I've in the last year and for the next continuing seven or so months that I have is toward this project and toward this goal of mine. Very cool. Have you thought about, I mean, and this is hard cause I'm not the kind of person that would probably do it either, but have you thought about doing a GoFundMe or something to see if you can help raise some funds to help or. Yeah, I've thought of it, but it's one of those things that's really hard for me to do. So I'm not, I'm not someone, I'm not a good, I'm not a good marketer of myself. I, you know, I, I, I like one of the things that I was talking with Drew when we were discussing the logistics, all of this is I have to get a TikTok. I hated that concept, but it's something I knew I had to do to raise awareness and actually help spread this. So I'm not the greatest with marketing myself on social media and stuff like that. I've thought about a GoFundMe many times, but it just, I'm trying to find a way to where I can do it and it doesn't feel just like give me your money so I can go have fun because <laughs> at the end of the day, this is for the bears. This isn't about me. And it's just basically getting to where that point where I'm willing to do that. I've tried getting sponsors, but you know, I'm, I'm no high end professional, you know, super photographer who's been doing this for 25 years. I only started photography in 20, 17 with my first ever camp true camera so you know sponsors are something i was hoping to get on more because that's a little less give me money feeling um so i've thought of it i'm still thinking of doing it just to help with the future trips and stuff um but it's just a matter of trying to find the right balance to where i feel okay doing it to where it doesn't ruin my project and my message that i'm trying to get across Totally understand. Yeah. So if you're doing TikTok, are you doing other things too, where you do YouTube or things like that, where you no. can produce a video that shows that particular species trip? 
Um, so I'm planning to do most of that over TikTok. Um, I've unfortunately all my video files from Ecuador, except for the ones on my phone, got erased on my travels back. So I did. I lost all that video. Um, video is something I'm still new with and kind of learning. I'm planning to do video on every bear forward from now on. Um, maybe I'll go into a YouTube channel eventually, but that's just very much new territory for me. So eventually once I have the material, I may get into that. It's something I have definitely thought about, but not at that level yet with myself. There might be a couple of camera operators who'd volunteer to, uh, to go, go with you and, uh, you know, help out with some <laughs> that of that would video. Be pretty cool. Yeah. I know. I know one. <laughs> I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying he's your best option, but he's an option. <laughs> His initials are R H. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looks like Michael froze out. Yeah, he's in Alaska. It's yeah. raining. It, it, <laughs> the internet's not that good there. Uh, well, you know, Kevin, just hearing all this is it, it warms my heart really to to hear the passion. And about bears and and how you're doing this and and I do think you know I like that you're you're not necessarily going the, the GoFundMe route but I, I do think this uh, this merchandising and when you get this this these shirts and keychains and stickers on your Etsy shop I would encourage everybody who's listening today uh, to go get those shirts get that merchandise and then rep it with pride you know I hopefully next time you're cruising around Yellowstone. You'll be uh, you'll be seeing somebody wearing your wearing your shirt, and really that's how grassroots mm-hmm. conservation is meant to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so next time you're in Yellowstone and you strike up a conversation with some somebody in on the side of the road who's wearing your shirt, and those are the types of connections that 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 get things done. And then somebody knows oh, yeah. somebody mm-hmm. who's got a connection to go see moon bears or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's now to me that would be a penultimate like dream right there to see other people out in the wild wearing my stuff, knowing that not only they're helping me with my project, but they're also helping bears and they're interested in the project and they're following it. That to me is a big thing. Um, One of the other things I'm kind of working on with my website as well is I'm going to be, it's kind of old school, but blogging each of these things and writing passages on each of these journeys so hoping that everyone who goes to the shop maybe goes to the website as well and reads each of the things, why I'm doing this, what the journey was like. And eventually, uh, like uh, Michael is asking with YouTube, I'll probably turn those into kind of a video type thing where I'll put myself with video of the bears and stuff like that into kind of, you know, videos of each country or something like that kind of to help further educate. Because if that's something I can get on that helps spread awareness and education, I'll eventually do it as much as it's going to be a challenge for me because that's not really my forte. Well, and other people can can emulate you. I mean, you can, you can go to Wong's, other people can see what you're doing and they can go hang out with Wong and help out with the Sun Bears and things like that too. Mm-hmm. It's not just financial contribution. You can show people how to how to do it, how yeah. to get to Wong's place kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there, this how, is, this yeah, is how multifaceted and how it can help. How to help with them. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, so how do people follow along in your adventure? Besides no TikTok, bad. how, besides TikTok, we've oh, already established. Oh, I have but Instagram. Uh, throw your handles the, out oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. So my Instagram, if we find a link or something with the podcast, but yeah, Instagram is blue skies, Kevin, um, yeah, kevinandrewsphotography.com is kind of the easiest thing because that has access to everything I have, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Etsy shop, and all of that. So that's the easiest way to find all my stuff. You know, I think it's pretty inspiring. Am I still frozen or can you guys see me? Yeah, you're good. You're good, you're good. So it's pretty inspiring. I mean, you listen to this project and it sounds really lofty, right? It just sounds <laughs> like... Okay, so this is a trust fund kid that just has tons of <laughs> tons of money I, and just this great great big ambition <laughs> to do this stuff. But now talking to you, I mean, this is like you said, Drew. It's one hundred percent grassroots. Make it happen and sacrifice. And while it is a ton of fun, I'm sure it's a ton of work. And 
the only thing that's going to make it happen is passion. It's not no, because yeah. you're going to make a ton of money doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, there's been many times where it's like, Oh, I could easily just not do this or not see this bear. And it would make my life so much easier. Cause you know, like I said, everything, all my money, all my time is how can I make sure everything happens with this? I'm making, trying to make everything work, but there's been many times I can quit, but you know, it's just a passion. I God, I wish I was a trust fund kid that could just take some mom and dad's money and go on these trips. That'd be great. But no, this is something I saved for a year for still saving for. And, uh, it's, it's been a rough road, but in the end, I think like, as long as I can make a difference in the world of bears, I succeeded. If, even if I just change the life of one bear in the world kind of thing, Hey, I'm doing something. And that's just kind of my goal. And, I plan to continue this for years on nothing as big as this for quite a while. But like I said, I plan to go try and see each subspecies of certain bears over time and stuff like that. So this is kind of, I like to say my breakaway into the world of bears and bear photography. This is my big entrance and presentation of show. I just wanted to give a shout out to his photo skills too, but for, I mean, you keep poo pooing that you just started in, 2018 or whatever but like you got good stuff on there like i've enjoyed watching watching the bears roll in so so keep it up and just keep keep improving and 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 yeah sky's the limit really is i'm glad you're not a trust fund kid because it does make a difference i mean you are you are creating a roadmap for other people to follow and it's not like it's you're the first one to do it but just in this day and age for someone to take this on with the resources that you have is awful impressive yeah yeah i mean i i started this with pretty much zero resources my first resource was like i had a couple trips planned out in a very rough idea and then i was able to find drew and he was my first resource and i've been meeting some people since then because connections is one of the hardest things because yellowstone uh photographers are a little tough to get through there a lot of the time. Um, so I wasn't really making any headway there. And that's why I'm really happy I found Drew because it was finally someone in the bear world I could talk to that was supportive of me and like actually helped me out. And so that did a huge thing for my confidence of making this trip happen was being able to talk with Drew. Yeah. And Drew's the, if, if there is a one-stop shopping for bear, <laughs> bear viewing and bear knowledge that, you know, Drew or, or Barrett, Barrett Hedges has done a lot of research as well, but Drew's got, I mean, you're saying where you're going and Drew's popping names off and that just coincidentally <laughs> happens to be who you're going to see. So. Well, well, part of that is because. Kevin and I talk another, another organization I'll just throw out there. And I know Kevin and I had talked about is, is there would be interest to um, people who listen to the podcast is the, the IBA, which is the uh, they're not good at acronyms, but it's the international association for the research for bear management and research <laughs> or something like that, but short of the IBA. Not what you'd expect. Right. It's much longer, <laughs> uh, but it's a fantastic resource. It's an organization of bear researchers and managers, and they've got their own journal. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's interested in, in learning more about, about bears or, or uh, supporting bear research, the IBA is, is an excellent uh, resource for folks. So we'll, we can throw that in the show notes too. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's at right. those conferences that you meet these people. Like when mm-hmm. when he started asking about panda bears, well, and I guess I know Philip from tourism, but other, but you can go to these conferences that they have every year that are bear conferences. I don't know if you even knew that bear conferences. Were, it's like uh, at the end they have a dance party and it's like a sea of flannel out there just kind of <laughs> bopping and waving and. and uh, and, but that's where you can meet these people and make these connections. And so, you know, you can uh, go to their website and, and see where their next conference is if you really want to get nerdy. Flannel and beards. Yeah. And an odd number I mean, of eye patches. It's, you, it's you weird. You see Drew right now? Look at his, look at his shirt. Yeah. This yeah. is like bear, bear world camo. <laughs> I'm, getting oh, an eye, I'm getting an eye patch now. Just, just in case I end up at a conference. 
Well, Kevin, Kevin, I, you, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, Kevin, I the passion you have for this is, is definitely shines through. Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting project. I'm excited to follow along and see. Hope, I mean, we're all cheering for you, right? Hopefully, this you get them all in the year time frame. Even if you don't, it's not the end of the world, right? So my um, thing is, I have I have seven planned. The eighth one is up in question, but even so, getting seven is a vast achievement, and I'll get that eighth eventually. But at the same time, I'm still doing it. It's above my power if I don't see that eighth and I'm still doing it and still pushing on. It's not like, oh, well, I can't get all eight. It's a failure. I might as well cancel the whole thing. No, like there's a mission. There's a goal. What happens happens with some, you know, countries and borders. You can't really control that. I was just going to piggyback on kind of what Jason just said. You've, you've carried that extreme sports skydiving wingsuit go big or go home mentality into <laughs> wildlife photography. And that's, that's a great thing. And as you know, Mike has talked about, Drew mentioned a little bit as well, the, the fact that you're doing it now, kind of at the beginning of your photo, photographic journey, but also doing it just as a grassroots, make the contacts, do the legwork, not just pay to go on a tour every time you're going somewhere kind of thing. That's something that I think we can all respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I with along with what Jason said, I'm looking forward to kind of coming along on the journey. Well, thank you. Through I can't wait lens. to make it a journey that's pretty fun to follow. Mm-hmm. Speaking and of, and I bears, look forward to the book. I look forward to the book. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's something I, I don't even know if I've told Drew about that yet. I'm actually working on ideas of that. I have. I'm, there was an artist I found here locally who did some really cool bear illustrations that I just happened to find. And uh, the goal is to eventually down the road, make a book of each of the species, what makes them unique, because there's a few books out there, but they're very much kind of like educational research type journals of the different species. And so I'm going to try and make something a little more, like young kid friendly type of thing to where it's a nice easy read that's just kind of fun and formative of each of the bears and very very early on in that concept but it's something i have thought of and is in the eventual planning process all it takes is more time and more money buddy (laughs) (laughs) sell more shirts (laughs) yes sell more shirts (laughs) so speaking of bears can you guys hear the can you hear the cracker shells going off outside No. no okay like we're we're sitting here chatting, and even through my headphone, I don't have the noise canceling on, but I can hear there there must be a bear in town because there are cracker shells coming from <laughs> the other side of that apartment complex over there. Never mind. Sorry, Does that's that... just an aside. <laughs> <laughs> but the oh, polar bears are out. <laughs> Does that work pretty good with those cracker shells? Or are they scared of them, or do they get used to them? Oh no, they 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 have a very uh, shock and awe technique to getting bears out of town here. It's uh. It's a bit disconcerting until you get, you get used to it. <laughs> but whenever you hear the cracker shells, you kind of like, oh, glad I'm not walking the dog over there or something. <laughs> so is it just shooting off blanks into the sky or rounds into the sky? Like what exactly? Yeah, they're, they're well, judging from where this, these shots are coming from, they're probably trying to push a bear into the river. So the, the bears, these bears are marine mammals that they, they go into the water like, no big deal. So they'll try to, if they catch them in town, they'll just try to push them through town and then keep them going across the river kind of thing. So I'd imagine just from the direction of it, that's what's, uh, what's going on. But it's, I, when you hear them, you know, people have a, and for anybody that's, that's coming to Churchill, when you hear those cracker shells, don't go over there. <laughs> they don't need you <laughs> in the way kind of thing. Like it just makes things worse. I mean, it's, it's cool to see if you can see it from where you are, but don't go out of your way to, uh, to go. Cause it just messes things up. Those bears change directions and then there's a bunch of, it's not good. So just leave, give conservation room to work. Uh, they're very good at their jobs. They just need to get them, get them out safe. So, uh, so that'll be a, a little biggest, pro, pro tip <laughs> when you hear cracker shells, <laughs> don't go over there. Biggest <laughs> excitement that we have is, you know, around, rodeo time one of the bulls jumps the fence and and then you've got a you've got a bull going through town and everybody wanting to be a cowboy and go help out <laughs> that happened you know, one time you know, I, was I, like, I, I can take it 
Yeah, that sounds like Cody. <laughs> oh. Kevin, thanks again for your time, and we really oh, appreciate it. Guys. Uh, hang on after we're done. And again, everyone listening, go along for the ride. Check Kevin out on Instagram. Make sure you check out his, his store on his website, kevinandrewsphotography.com. Have some we, fun stuff coming next week. <laughs> we look forward to the next time we can have you on and visit when this when this is complete. Yeah. And uh, you have a lot more stories to tell. So all the links will be in the show notes. So just go to okay, the perfect. Wildland Exposed page and then you can click on Kevin's stuff. Hey, and before we go, we need to mention that the sponsor for the show, Precision Camera. So they've got a – we're returning to an old – promotion that we did when we first started with precision the original so, one wasn't it yeah yeah and it's they were it, it was 50 dollars off of 500 and that is the actual code so if you're going to go to precision and buy something online or however you want to do it call them up it's 50 off 500 if you tell them that or put it in the in the um coupon code on the website you're going to get 50 bucks off of 500, a purchase of 500 or more, which is pretty darn good. Well, then you save 50 10%. bucks to buy one of Kevin's t-shirts. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. You can probably get two for 50. <laughs> I don't even know what the price is. Make sure you give that coupon code to your friends and relatives when you hand them your Christmas shopping list so that they can check out Precision and, and save a little bit of money that they can maybe get you a, another gift. A bigger gift. A bigger, better. It's really the gift yeah. that keeps on giving with that discount code. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.